the uh, the Lord of the Rings. Are you familiar with that uh, that trilogy, the, the movies, the books? The Lord of the Rings is is an epic epic fantasy story from the creative mind of English author and scholar J.R.R. Tolkien. And it's a story set in the land called Middle-earth. Middle-earth. A place like Earth, but at some time in the far distant past. In the story, the land of Middle-earth is threatened by the power of an evil overlord. And it can only be saved by the daring deeds of a few hobbits. Now, if you don't know what hobbits are, they are halflings. About half the size of normal people. Which is odd because they eat seven meals a day. They walk around barefooted. They seem to have big feet for some reason. But yeah, yeah, and and hairy feet. Yes. So they walk around barefooted and they dress in bright, elaborate colors. Hobbits like a, like a, a quiet and peaceful life. They typically seem to be shy in nature. But if need be, they can have great courage. So four of these little hobbits are on a quest to save Middle Earth. And unknown to them, they are helped on their quest by the true king of Middle Earth working undercover. The hobbits only know him as Strider, the humble ranger who wanders the land homeless and seemingly friendless. In the great climactic battle at the end of the age, good is surrounded by evil. Until at the last moment, Frodo, the main hobbit, performs a heroic deed and destroys this magical ring in this volcanic lava fire mountain thing. Then darkness turns to light and Strider is revealed as Aragon. The king of Middle Earth. In an odd way, the creation of this fantasy story suggests that Tolkien knew the true king of kings. It is told that Tolkien was a believer. And he was instrumental in leading his friend C.S. Lewis to Christ. Tolkien knew 
that human history is all about a very real yet unseen battle between good and evil. And he knew that one day the true king would be revealed in all his splendor and glory. The book of Revelation is the divinely inspired drama of good engulfed by evil until good prevails at the end and the king, the real king, Jesus, is revealed. What Tolkien presented as fantasy, the Bible presents as reality. This morning, we are beginning our sermon series through the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bible, turn to the first chapter of the last book, okay? The first chapter of the last book, Revelation chapter 1, and we'll begin with verse 1, okay? Should be easy to find, Revelation 1, beginning with verse 1. I still see Bibles moving. I'm happy to see Bibles. (laughs) That's good. Okay, let's go. Verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent... And communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. Who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Let's stop there. The first chapter of Revelation is... A greeting, and it serves as the introduction to the entire book. And I use the word book only because that is what we commonly call it. Actually, it's a letter, a very long letter, written to seven real churches in Asia Minor which we refer to today as modern-day Turkey. Okay? And they faced extreme persecution by the Roman government. And they were under extreme severe pressure to compromise their faith. It is a letter. Just like Ephesians is a letter. Just like Galatians is a letter. This is a letter to seven churches who needed encouragement to endure and to never give up. They were churches who needed to be challenged to live godly lives in an ungodly world. And they were churches who needed hope for tomorrow. Hope for the future. They needed to know that in spite of their present reality, 
God is still on the throne. Christ will return just as he promised. He will be victorious. Good will triumph over evil. And in the end, it will all be worth it for those who are overcomers. That's the message to these churches, and that's the message to us as well. Now, the key to this chapter is found in the first part of verse 1, which reads, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis. That was hard to pronounce. Apocalypsis. Which is where we get our English word apocalypse. And that might lead us to think that this word revelation automatically pertains to a catastrophe. Something bad is going to happen. But that's not necessarily the case. This Greek word for revelation, apocalypsis, simply means to disclose, to reveal. It gives us the picture of taking the top off a box to see what's inside. To pull back the curtain to see what's behind it. That's the picture that this word is giving us here. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that phrase is where we get the title of this book from. It's not the revelation of John, as some translations may read. And it's not the book of Revelations. This is not the book of Revelations. It's not plural. It's a single revelation of Jesus Christ. And that seems to have a twofold meaning. First, it's the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus, the uncovering of truth about him that was previously unknown and hidden to us. As we work through this book, we are going to learn things about Jesus that we would not know if it wasn't for this book. And that brings up another point. As we study this book, if we get a better understanding of the tribulation period, that's awesome. If we get a clearer picture of the Antichrist and the false prophet, that's okay too. If we become more informed about the mark of the beast and the battle of Armageddon, that's great. But if we don't get a better understanding and a deeper love for Jesus Christ then we've missed something. If we get a clearer picture of everything else 
but miss Jesus in this book, then we miss the book of Revelation. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And although we will cover a lot of wild and crazy stuff later on, he is the object of this book. Make sense? Now, secondly, this revelation belongs to Jesus. In this book, Jesus unveils. He uncovers hidden mysteries that are only possessed by him. These mysteries uniquely belong to Jesus. And he is pleased to reveal these mysteries to his servants, his followers. So Jesus is the object of this revelation. And he is also the source of this revelation. It is from him and it is about him. And we need to keep that in mind so we don't go running off in all these rabbit trails. Okay? Which is easy to do in this book. Now I want you to notice the flow of this revelation in verse 1. Back to verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. It starts with God the Father. It's given to the Son. And then it is communicated by an angel to John. That's the flow we see. And that flow will give us some clarity later on in the chapter, which we will get to next week. Okay? So who is this John? This is the Apostle John, who was the brother of James. If you remember, amongst the 12 original disciples of Jesus, John was part of the inner circle, along with his brother and Peter. John wrote the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John. And now he is putting pen to paper in this book of Revelation. At the writing of this letter, likely around 95 to 96 AD, John is about 90 to 100 years old. And he is probably the last surviving apostle. Now banished to the island of Patmos, which we will also talk more about next week. Now let me say something before we press on here. Two times I have told you we will look at something next week. All right? We are in this book for the long haul. And some of you may be chomping at the bit to get to the wild and crazy stuff contained in this book. When does the rapture occur? 
What's up with the 666, Bob? What's up with the locusts coming out of this pit? And they can sting people like scorpions. We will get to all that stuff when we get there. Okay? Since this is a letter, this is a letter, we need to read it like a letter. Beginning at the beginning of the letter and working our way through it. Does that make sense? Okay. Now back to verse 1. If you notice, we are told the things revealed to us must soon take place. Do you see that? They must soon take place. And there are a couple of ways to interpret that phrase. It is true. Peter tells us that with God, a thousand years is only a day. He says that. So from a heavenly perspective, this book was only written less than two days ago. That doesn't help, does it? Didn't think so. But there's another way to interpret this phrase, which I think personally is a little more helpful. Okay? It can also be taken to mean quickly or, or suddenly coming to pass. Expressing the idea that the things and the events related, revealed to John, may not necessarily come as soon as they were given to him, but rather when they do come, it will be quick in nature. Does that make sense? When they do come, it will be quick. Okay, let's move to verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. For the time is near. The book begins with a blessing and it ends with a blessing. In chapter 22, verse 7, we read, Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. It is the only book in the Bible that begins and ends with a promise of blessing to the one who reads it, To the one who hears it, suggesting it is meant to be read aloud. And the one who keeps it. In other words, they take it to heart. Okay. From verse 3, we are told that the book of Revelation is not only a letter, but it's also prophecy. Which has a twofold meaning. I need you to listen to this. This is important prophecy. First, we should think of it, when thinking of prophecy, we should think of it as the fourth telling of God. The fourth telling. In other words, thus says the Lord. Meaning, now hear this, I have spoken it It is going to happen just as I planned. Okay? It's the fourth telling of God. 
And secondly, we should think of it as the foretelling of God. The foretelling and the foretelling of God, where God is telling us what happens next. See the difference? So this prophecy refers to both direction, giving direction, and a prediction. Giving us prediction of what happens next. And speaking of what happens next, in this book, John writes down what he hears and sees in a chronological, sequential order. However, the actual events may not always be in chronological, sequential order. In other words, it's not so much what happens next, but what is revealed to John next. What he hears and sees next. For example, in Revelation chapter 12, I'm going to give you an example here. Revelation chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, we are told, a great sign appeared in heaven. This is John talking. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun. And the moon, the moon under her feet. And on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was pregnant. And she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns on his heads, were seven crowns. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Okay? So this is in chapter 12. Well into the book of Revelation. But this sign that John sees, it's something that occurred way back in the past when Jesus was born into this world. I only bring this up to make the point that what John hears and sees and what we read is not necessarily in chronological and sequential order. It is given to us as it is revealed to John. As he hears and sees it. And that can create some confusion for us as we navigate through this book. Okay? So we have to be careful with this. Now back to chapter 1. Beginning with verse 4. Chapter 1 beginning with verse 4. It reads, John... To the seven churches that are in Asia. 
grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priests, To his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. As I already stated, this letter is written to seven churches in Asia Minor. Again, we'll talk about them in a couple of weeks. These are seven real churches, probably on the same postal route. There was a postal route. Probably on the same poster route, but because only seven churches are mentioned here, for there could have been more in the area, but only seven are mentioned, it is suggested that these seven churches also represent all churches. At all times, worldwide, because the number seven represents fullness or completeness. There are seven churches. We'll we'll see there are seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls. In this book, seven is an important number. Okay, And this brings up another really good point. I got a lot of good points in this. I hope they're good. Although I tend to take the Bible literally, okay, until it is clear it is not to be taken literally, I know going into this book that John uses apocalyptic writing. It's an apocalyptic writing style with lots of signs and numbers and odd-looking creatures and various colors. There is a lot of symbolism using Old Testament imagery in this book. And And it comes across like a drama created by Jesus with numerous scenes and props and characters in different costumes that can change at a moment's notice. And John is getting all of this and then describing it for his readers. John is not interpreting what he hears and sees. He is merely describing what Jesus is revealing to So there is a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation. There is a lot of mystery to explore. But as we proceed in this book, I don't want to get caught up on every detail. Sorry, Kimmy. Get caught up on every detail. Otherwise, we will be in this book for five years. Okay? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, no, I don't want to dissect every word or image to seek out some symbolic or hidden meaning. Okay? The details only make up the background of the bigger picture. It's much like viewing an artist painting of a forest. We view the picture of the forest as a whole. We don't pick out a leaf or a twig or a stump of a tree and begin assigning some special hidden meaning to each of them. They're just parts of the whole. And viewed as a whole, they make up a beautiful picture. And so it is with the book of Revelation. Okay. Continuing on with verse 4, we are given a very special greeting. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ. This is a greeting from the Trinity. Who extend grace. The result being peace. Grace is the sort is the source. Peace is the result. This is a greeting from Him who is, who was, and who is to come. The Father. This is a greeting from the seven spirits who are before the throne. Referring to the Holy Spirit. Again, there is that number seven, which represents the seven perfect attributes of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of his work mentioned in Isaiah chapter 11, verse two. And last but not least, this greeting is from Jesus Christ. In verse five, Jesus is described as the faithful witness who can be trusted and we can take him at his word. He is the firstborn of the dead, raised to life, never to die again. And we're told that Jesus is still the ruler of the kings of this earth. We know that kings of this earth come and go. But Jesus remains constant and he continues to rule over them. This is so important to remember as we make our way through this book and as we make our way through this life. It may seem chaotic. It may seem out of control. It may seem that evil is getting the upper hand. It may seem that the wrong kings are in charge. But God is still on his throne. He still rules. And this is important for these churches to understand. Because they have many years of persecution and struggles ahead of them to endure. They lived during a time when Roman Emperor Domitian who called himself Savior and Lord, demanded that he be worshipped as such. Emperor worship was full-blown during this time period. 
And those who did not worship the emperor, namely Christians, were hated and severely persecuted by the government. These churches needed to know that the Lord God was still in charge. Even in their hardship. John also tells us in verse 5. That Jesus loves us. And released us from our sins by his blood. Jesus loves us and released us from the power and the ultimate consequences of our sin. That being eternal separation from God by his finished work on the cross. To him who loves us. And I believe, I believe This is the only time in the New Testament where God's love is written to us in the present tense, not the past tense. Yes, Jesus loved us, for he proved it way back when, but he still loves us. That's different, isn't it? One of the greatest theologians that ever lived, Karl Barth, was asked to be a guest lecturer at the University of Chicago Divinity School. At the end of a captivating closing lecture, the president of the seminary announced that Dr. Barth was not feeling well and was quite tired. And though he thought that Dr. Barth would like to be open for questions, he shouldn't be expected to handle the strain. Then he said, therefore... I will ask just one question on behalf of us all. He turned to the renowned theologian and asked, Of all the theological insights you have ever had, which do you consider to be the greatest of them all? It was, it was the perfect question for a man who had written literally tens of thousands of pages on some of the most sophisticated theology ever put into print. The students grabbed their pencils and writing tablets, ready to take down verbatim the premier insight of the greatest theologian of their time. Karl Barth closed his tired eyes and he thought for a minute. And then he he half smiled, opened his eyes and said to the young seminarians, the greatest theological insight that I have ever had is this. 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The greatest theological insight. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This might sound really odd, and you're going to hear it several times as we make our way through this book. But this last book in the Bible is a love letter from God. A desperate, last-ditch love letter for lost people to turn from their sin and to turn to God. It's a love letter. Now, you might ask, how can that be so? Especially during the wrathful time of tribulation. And my response is this. Even during the terrible, and it is terrible, tribulation period, out of his love, for God is love, out of his love, God is giving lost people a small taste of hell on earth. To see what it is like. So they will repent. God does not want people to go to hell. He loves them. But if they reject him. If they reject his love. If they reject their savior. They have sealed their own fate. This is a love letter. Sounds odd, doesn't it? This is a love letter. Then we come to verses 7 and 8. This is where we'll end. We are told, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Who is, who was, and is is to come, the Almighty. Here is the theme of the book. Jesus is coming back to earth in glory. And all will see him. The first coming of Jesus could be described as lowly and humble in nature. Born in a manger. How humble is that? However, here we are told that when Jesus comes to the earth a second time, it will be in splendor and majesty. Every eye will see him and those who intentionally, 
rejected Christ will realize their terrible mistake as their doom sinks in. They will mourn. They will mourn as they realize it's now too late. They had their chance and they blew it. John wrote, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God introduces Himself. He is the beginning, the origin, and the source. He is also the end. He is the past, He is the present, and the future. He is the first and the last and everything in between. Throughout this book, throughout this book, God is on the throne. And He is inescapable. Don't forget it. During hardship for these churches, and for us as well, it is very important to understand that God is still in control. He is the Lord God Almighty and He has a purpose and a plan for this world, for His people, the church, and for you and me. He is in charge. He is in control. Let us pray. Father, thank You for this time in Your Word. Father, I look with, uh, I look with anticipation I look forward to to diving into this this book, this last book, this love letter that you have given us. I thank you for it. And Father, I pray first and foremost that we would come to love and know Jesus as we make our way through this. I pray, Lord, that Jesus would be our everything, our absolute everything. And we don't have to fear what goes on around us. Father, help us to keep our eyes focused on the Lord. May you be honored and glorified. Father, I pray that you, that your spirit would just move amongst us, Father. Draw us close to you. Help us to be honest with you. To be honest with ourselves. I thank you for who you are and what you've done. I thank you that we can trust you and we can take you at your word. For you are a good God. You are the Lord God Almighty. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I tell you, I'm feeling old. <laughs> it hurt. I was uh, I was thinking this morning about about something I, I heard years ago from a guy named uh, uh, Brennan Manning. You know that name, Brennan Manning. I would call him weird, but but I don't think I don't I don't think he was. He was one of these guys here who would 
who would go hide in a cave for like three, three months at a time. Uh, he was a guy who wanted to minister to prisoners in Switzerland. And he felt the best way to do this was he went to the warden and says, I want to be a prisoner. <laughs> so so he, began, he, he ministered to prisoners as a, as a prisoner. Uh, so he was a guy who spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours in prayer and meditation and in, and in God's word. It's the kind of guy he was. I remember him saying something. He said, after, after spending all this countless time in God's word and all this countless time in prayer and meditation, he says, I am convinced, I am convinced that when we stand before God, he's going to ask us one question and only one question. And the question is this. God is going to ask us, did you believe that I loved you? Did you believe that I loved you? That I longed for you? I was passionate about you. I wanted to hear your voice. Did you believe that I loved you? For those who say yes, they would be the people who would, who would shape their lives around that understanding that God loved them. Their lives would be shaped around that love. And for those who did not know that, their lives would be shaped around themselves. Did you believe that I loved you? That's what we sung about this morning. I, I picked up on that. And that's what this whole book of Revelation is about. It's God's love letter, a last ditch, desperate love letter to people to come to him. To come to him. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you'd question whether God loves you or not. He does. It's not not about feelings. This is about the truth. This is about truth. Whether you feel it or not. This morning, trying to get out of bed, I wasn't feeling loved by anybody. My body's hurting. But that doesn't change the fact, does it? That doesn't change the truth. We let truth steer our feelings. Don't let feelings steer the truth. That's, but that's, that's the truth. That's the truth. We are, we, are, we are people of the truth. We're in the truth. We abide by the truth. We live by the truth. Not our feelings. So where, wherever you are this morning... You feel God tugging on your heart. You just don't know Him. Maybe you realize, you know what? I'm just playing games. I'm just playing games. I want to know that God that you say loves me. I want to. I would love to introduce you to Him. Maybe you're looking for a church home. 
Maybe you're just waiting until we finish the book of Revelation. <laughs> it could, could be here a while. <laughs> however, the, however, the, however the Lord leads you this morning, I just pray you just step out in obedience. Just step out on obedience to him. Whether it's at your seat or to come see me, I'd love to pray with you. I'll put a mask on just to be safe. Um, so however, however you, you feel the Lord just wants you to respond, just be real, be true, be honest with him. He loves you. Thank you, Larry. No, you know, I, I, uh, I've said this before here. I, I actually, I actually appreciate that. It, it, just, it just shows, you know, that we aren't perfect people <laughs> and we are just doing the, I just know it's always just a, a refreshing reminder to me. You know, it's just like, you know, we, we just do the best we can, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's just it. So in, in some respects, I actually, it just it sends a message to me. I I, I just at, what? Okay. <laughs> no, but you know we're 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 children of God. We're not perfect, and we just do the best we can. Try, try to love our Lord and walk in with Him. And uh, you know we're going to have our we're going to have our our, our <laughs> you know our our downs, our highs, and our lows, our twists and our turns. That's totally fine. He, nothing surprises him, and in spite of us, he still loves us. That's just that's just craziness. That's just that's just craziness. Anyway, anyway, let me uh, let me close this in prayer. Uh, I'm assuming we have uh, the the grills. We're working on the grills. Uh, okay, okay. So hopefully we'll get that going. Uh, if we, if we got to siphon some gasoline out of my car, do we need to siphon gasoline out of my car? No, okay, good. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> That's right. Good timing for the book of Revelation. Okay, okay. Um, so let me let me close this in prayer. I'm going to pray for our offering and I pray for our fellowship as well. Heavenly Father, again, I thank you so much uh, for allowing us to gather together to be in your word. Uh, Lord God, again, I just pray that your, your word just would just enrich us. And Father, as you said, as you promised, that those who read this, this word and, and, uh, and, and hear this word and heed this word would be blessed by this word. Father, that's what I pray this is all about, and that we would draw close to your Son. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, for our offering this morning. Lord God, uh, just help us to use those, those monies that are brought in for your, your kingdom's work, for your honor, and for your glory. Father, give us wisdom and insight. Bless the, the giver and bless the gift. And Father, for our fellowship here afterwards, bless the food to our body, Heavenly Father. Bless those who have brought food, who prepared food. But more importantly, God, just bless this fellowship together. That's what this is all about. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.